It's a real long story time with Bryson and Mommy. And today we are reading this story called Peter Pan. And we already read six chapters, so we're reading the next six or two. <laughs> Very good. We're actually, we've read all the way up through nine chapters. So today we're going to start with chapter 10. And so let's just review about the last three chapters that we read. We read chapter 7, which is when they introduce the Neverland Island. And we learn about the pirates. And we learn about Captain Hook. And we learn about the Indians, right? As we're looking through these pictures. And then when we learn in chapter 8, we are talking about uh, the Wendy bird when Wendy gets knocked down, right? By the arrow. By the arrow, yep. And then chapter nine, that was chapter eight. And then chapter nine is when Peter returns and he's all upset with the lost boys and doesn't understand why um, they shot her down out of the trees, right? So now we're going to start with chapter 10. Chapter 10 is called The Happy Home Under the Ground. One of the first things that Peter did next day was to measure Wendy and John and Michael for their very own hollow trees. It was very important to have a tree of your own. Unless your tree fit you, it was difficult to go up and down, and no two of the boys were quite the same size. Once you fit your tree, you sucked in your breath at the top of the tree, and down you went at exactly the right speed. To go up, you breathed in and then out, again and again, and so wriggled up like a worm. Of course, when you have practiced enough, you are able to do this quite easily. And nothing can be more graceful. What's graceful mean? Prettily. Like, um, you know when you do ballet? Yeah. Ballet is graceful. Peaceful, graceful, prettily. It's like pretty and soft, right? Mm-hmm. But you simply must fit and Peter measures you for your tree just as you would be measured for a suit of clothes. The difference, however, is that clothes are made to fit you while you have to be made to fit a tree. Sometimes you will have to wear a few more clothes or a few less, and if you are bumpy in places or the only available tree is an odd shape, Peter does some things to you and after that you fit. After a few days of practice, John, Wendy, and Michael could go up and down as easily as buckets in a well. All three grew to love their home under the ground, especially Wendy. It had one large room with a floor in which you could dig for worms if you wanted to go fishing. In this floor grew stout mushrooms, which were used as stools. A never tree tried hard to grow in the center of the room, and by tea time it was always about two feet high. The boys then put a door on top of it and it became a table. As soon as they cleared the dishes away, they sawed off the trunk and thus there were no more room to play. There was one cubby hole in the wall, no larger than a birdcage, which was the private apartment of Tinkerbell. It had a tiny curtain, which Tink, who was the most private, always kept drawn when dressing or undressing. Her apartment was quite pretty and had lovely pieces of small furniture, although it did have a rather snobbish look to it. Wendy loved the household duties, such as keeping the socks mended and the kettle on for tea. The cooking also pleased her, but with Peter, no one knew if the meal would be real or make-believe, and this sometimes became a bother. Wendy's favorite time for sewing and mending was after the boys had all gone to bed. 
Then she had a breathing time for herself. She made new things for them and put patches on the knees of the britches, and they were almost frightfully hard on their knees. As time went on, did she spend any time thinking about the beloved parents she had left behind her? This is hard to say, for time in Neverland is not the same as time in London, but I'm afraid that Wendy did not really worry about her father and mother. She was sure that they were always keep the window open for when she would fly back, and this gave her peace of mind. The boys had adventures of some sort every day. Peter could always lead them into a fine adventure or invent in wonderful games that could be used in the place of a true adventure. Mm. There were many times when Peter would leave the boys behind and go out alone. When he came back, they were never certain whether he had had an adventure or not. Sometimes he came home with his head bandaged, and then Wendy fussed over him and nursed his wound while he told a dazzling tale. But she was never quite sure, you know. There were, however, many adventures which she knew to be true because she was in them herself. And there were still more that were at least partly true, for the other boys were in them and said they were all true. Of course, besides the adventures, there were many wonders on the island, such as the mermaids in the lagoon. Oh my, the lagoon is a wonderful and magical place. If you shut your eyes and you're a lucky one, you may be able to picture this place. A shapeless pool of lovely pale colors floating in the darkness. Then, if you squeeze your eyes even tighter, the pool begins to take shape, and the colors become so bright that, with another squeeze, they burst into flames. But just before they do, you see the lagoon. Can you see the surf? Can you hear the mermaids singing? On the island, the most lovely time to see the mermaids is at the turn of the moon, when they sing their strange and mystical songs. But the lagoon is dangerous for humans at night. Wendy had never seen the Laguna move by moonlight, not because she was afraid, but because she had a strict rule of bedtime by seven o'clock. She was often at the lagoon, however, on sunny days after rain when the mermaids come up to play with their bubbles in the rainbow. They use these pretty bubbles as balls. Each mermaid hits a ball happily to another with her tail and tries to keep it in the rainbow till it bursts. There is a goal at each end of the rainbow and the goaltenders are the only ones allowed to use their hands. Sometimes a dozen of these games will be going on in a lagoon at one time. It is quite a pretty sight. Okay, now we're going to do chapter 11 called Marooner's Rock. In the middle of the lagoon rests a small rocky island called Marooner's Rock. There were stories of how evil pirates and captains had left sailors on this great rock with no boat to get back to shore. Here, the marooned sailors watched as the tide rose around them. An awful thought indeed. Yet it was here one day that all the children were stunning themselves, lazily dozing, and Wendy was very busy stitching. While she stitched, a change came to the lagoon. Little shivers ran over it, and the sun went away, and shadows stole across the water, turning it cold. Wendy could no longer see to thread her needle. And when she looked up, the happy lagoon seemed dreadful and unfriendly. She knew that night had not come, but something as dark as night had come, or at least it was coming, and this sent shivers through the sea. What was it? There was one on the rock who could sniff danger even in his sleep. Peter sprang straight up as wide awake as a, once as a dog. With one warning, he woke the others. He stood very still, one hand to his ear. 
pirates, he cried. The others came closer to him. A strange smile was on his face. Wendy saw it and shuddered. Peter's order came sharply. Dive! All the children slipped into the water and Marooner's Rock stood alone in the lagoon. A boat drew near. It was a small boat with three people aboard, Smee and Starkey and Tiger Lily, the Indian princess. They had caught her sneaking aboard the pirate ship with a knife in her mouth. Her hands and ankles were tied and she knew what was about to be her fate. She was to be left on the rock to drown, yet her face was proud and brave. The two pirates did not see the rock till they crashed into it. Drat, you lubber, cried Smee. Here's the rock. Now then, what we have to do is leave the engine here to drown. The beautiful tiger lily did not try to escape and the pirates easily plopped her onto the rock. Quite near the rock, but out of sight, two heads were bobbing up and down, Peter's and Wendy's. Peter was angry that it was two against one, and he decided to save the princess. Peter could do almost anything, so he made himself sound like Captain Hook. Ahoy there, you lubbers, he called. It was very good, Hook voice. The captain, said the pirates, staring at each other in surprise. He must be swimming out to us, Starkey said, peering into the darkness. We are putting the engine on the rock, Smee called out. Set her free, came the answer. Free? Yes, cut the ropes and let her go. But Captain... At once, do you hear? cried Peter, or I'll plunge my hook into you. Better do what the Captain orders, said Starkey nervously. Aye, aye, Smee said, and he cut Tiger Lily's ropes. At once, like an eel, she slid between Starkey's legs and into the water. Suddenly, another voice rang over the lagoon. Boat ahoy! It was Hook's voice, and this time it was not Peter who had spoken. Peter's face puckered in a whistle of surprise. Boat ahoy! came the voice again. Now Wendy understood. The real Hook was also in the water. He was swimming to the little boat. His men showed a light to guide him, and he soon reached them. In the light of the lantern, Wendy saw his hook grip the boat's side and she saw his evil dark face as he pulled himself from the water. She was shaking and would have liked to swim away, but Peter would not budge. He was tingling with adventure. The captain sat in the boat with his head on his hook, looking quite sad. The game's up, he cried. Those boys have found a mother. Oh, rotten luck, cried Starkey. Captain, said Smee, could we not kidnap the boy's mother and make her our mother? That may be an idea, cried Hook. We will seize the children and carry them to the boat. We will make the boys walk the plank and Wendy shall be our mother. Wendy forgot herself. Never, she cried. What was that? But they could see nothing. They thought it must have been a leaf in the wind. Do you agree, my bullies? asked Hook. They all agreed. <sighs> By this time, they were on the rock, and suddenly Hook remembered Tiger Lily. Where's the engine? he demanded. Smee and Starkey, of course, thought he was being funny. That's all right, Captain, Smee answered casually. We let her go. Let her go, cried Hook. Twas your own orders, Smee said. You called over the water to us to let her go, let her go, said Starkey. Brimstone and gall, thundered Hook. What is going on here? His face had gone black with rage. I gave no such order. 
They were all very uncomfortable, to say the least. Peter could no longer contain his pride, and he crowed with joy. It was I, the most clever of boys, Peter Pan. Pan? Now we have him, Hook shouted. Into the water, Smee. Starkey, mind the boat. Take him, dead or alive. Let's see what happens. He's going to fight, fight. So chapter 12. What's happening in that picture in the water? He fell into the water. Who? Captain Hook. Captain Hook is in the water. Who's right behind Captain Hook? The alligator. Oh, crocodile. Chapter 12 is called The Battle on the Lagoon. Hook leapt into the water for the fight. Out rang Peter's mischievous voice. Are you ready, boys? Aye, aye, came replies from around the lagoon. Then land the pirates. The fight was short and sharp. John bravely climbed into the boat and held Starkey. There was a fierce struggle. Starkey lost his cutlass and he wriggled overboard, but John leapt after him. Here and there were flashes of steel and whoops and hollers as the boys and the pirates clashed. Smee's corkscrew injured Tootles, but Curly got him right back. Farther from the rock, Starkey was battling slightly and the twins hard. Where all this, where all this time was Peter? He was seeking Hook. Peter was the only one who did not fear the claw. Where should these two meet but on Marooner's Rock? They each came up aside and met at the top, face to face. Peter snatched a knife from Hook's belt. He was about to ask Hook to give up when he saw that he was higher up the rock than his enemy. This, he knew, was not fair fighting. He gave the pirate a hand to help him up. It was then that Hook bit him. Peter stared at Hook, horrified. It was not the pain that upset him. It was the unfair act. Hook saw his chance and struck quickly. Twice the iron hand clawed him, but then, to Peter's surprise, Hook leapt into the water. The other boys saw Hook in the water swimming wildly for the big pirate ship. White with fear, right behind him was the crocodile. Right behind the croc were Smee and Starkey. The boys cheered and then began to search for each other. They found the small boat and squeezed in, but they had lost Peter and Wendy. They paddled for shore, shouting, Peter, Wendy, as they went, but no answer came. They must be swimming back or flying, the boys decided. They were not very worried because they had such faith in Peter. Little did they know that Peter and Wendy were stranded in the middle of the lagoon on Marooner's Rock. And how did Peter and Wendy get off the dreaded Marooner's Rock? Ah, well, that is indeed another tale, but I'll give you some wonderful hints. Wendy grabbed hold of Michael's kite as it drifted over the lagoon, and she floated her way to shore. Peter made use of a large bird's nest. I told you these were only hints and not the full tale. And paddled himself to safety. All quite simple, really. Of course, the boys celebrated when Peter reached the home and under the ground. Peter showed up just after that, for she had been carried... I'm sorry, Wendy showed up just after that, for she had been carried hither and thither by the kite. Every boy had adventures to tell, but perhaps the biggest adventure of all was that they were several hours late for bed. Wendy, though joyful in having them all home again safe and sound, was horrified at how late it was. To bed, to bed, she announced in a voice that they had to be obeyed. All was back to normal in the home under the ground. The Indians were greatly pleased about the rescue of Princess Targalily. It was indeed a thrilling act of bravery. Peter and Tegarily became fast friends after their adventure, and now there was nothing she and her braves could not do for him. 
All night the tribe sat above, keeping watch over the home and the ground, and awaiting the next big attack by the pirates. All right, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us with the baby head. <laughs>